There was a Saturday night in 2017 where I just could not go to sleep. From the moment my head hit the pillow, my brain started racing. I was chewing on all these problems I was having in relationships and, and with my work. It was probably the most complicated season of my life and I could not get any rest. And all of a sudden, I had deeper questions, more than just uh, about my future at work and, and will my kids grow up, but I started thinking about the big stuff. You know, really smart thing to do at three in the morning. I remember just, I didn't want to wake up my wife, but I remember whispering out into the darkness, God, if you're real, I need to know. I remember saying, feeling so um, stupid, going, God, is this real? Because, and of course, I'm all in my own mind. If this isn't real, I'm just talking to nothing. So me saying, is this real to something out there implies that there's something out there. And, I, and I'm also having that conversation in my head too. And eventually, around 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning, I nod it off and the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. And I get up to go to work go to church that day, wondering, is all of this real? Is my life just, am I giving my life and, and, and staking the, the future of my family on something that's not even real? And I was going through the motion and, and putting, going through the motions and putting on like the really good church face. Good morning, it's so good to see you. Tell me how today is gonna be the best day in your life. <laughs> and other people are like, well, probably, is this guy had way too much caffeine? And well, the answer would have been yes. And I went through the, 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 the pre-service prayers and, and going through the worship songs and I wasn't preaching that day. And I remember sitting on the front row wondering, am I a fraud? Like, I'm, a, I'm an associate pastor at a church that, that good things are happening here. Do I even believe any of this? And I remember closing my eyes as the pastor started into his introduction going, God, is this real? And all of a sudden, in my pocket, text message comes in. I pull my phone out, like any good church staff member does during a sermon, and I, and I look at my text message, and it's, uh, it's my friend in Kentucky going, Hey, Mike, I was just thinking about you. Just wanted to know I'm praying for you. And then as I'm looking at my phone, three more notifications come in. And it's one from Florida. Hey, Mike, just thinking about you, praying for you. One comes in from a, uh, just an acquaintance I know in Italy. Like, it's not even my friend. It's my mom's friend. This person, hey, I'm just thinking about you. Philippines. Like, it's, it's now an international text thread of people at the same time uh, sending me a message going, hey, I just felt a nudge to pray for you. Everything's going to be okay. And I just sat there and it was a big deal to me. Our text message is a big deal? No. But from random people from different stages and, and seasons of my life texting me at the same time saying, I felt that I had a nudge to pray for you. And I just looked up. I was thinking, God, sometimes you like to show off. And sometimes you and I, we get a nudge to do something or say something or go somewhere and we follow it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we benefit from other people who are following that nudge. 
as we're as we're in this uh, season of getting ready to go uh, into Easter, I've been thinking through a lot about just how we share our faith. How do we encourage people? Uh, what is evangelism? When I hear evangelism, sometimes I think of people handing out uh, information on a street corner or with a, a megaphone, on, and, and that's part of evangelism. That can be they're doing something, but I think evangelism and and sharing about Jesus, just ministering to people, it's one of the most miraculous things that that can happen, but it's also the most normal thing. So the most superly natural thing that we can do. And I wanted us to center our thoughts this morning, or whenever you're watching this, on Acts chapter 26. And in this this part of of Luke's story, things are really heating up. Jesus has ascended to heaven. The, the message of, of Jesus is, is starting to get out in Jerusalem. And Jesus had said, like, all right, I want you to wait for the helper, the Holy Spirit. And then I want the gospel to go to Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost bounds of the earth. And things are like, I can just imagine the apostles and the disciples going like, wow, Peter preaches the sermon and thousands of people get saved. Like we're unstoppable. And then Stephen is martyred for his faith, stoned to death after, after telling the story of the scriptures through the lens of Jesus. And things are really heating up. But it's interesting. Now the good news about Jesus is going outside of the Jewish faith. And that's where we get to Philip in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And uh, we'll just take this in chunks. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And when it comes to sharing Jesus, I don't know a lot of people that have had an angel talk to them and tell them where to go. So just wanted to say, This is a description of what happens. This isn't the formula that we're going to follow as we minister to people or or tell people about Jesus. But I do think there's something so incredibly the same. It's supernatural and natural about being put in the right position. And like taking this from, uh, from Philip's perspective, an angel of God shows up and says, hey, leave Jerusalem. Like this is the holy city. This is where Philip spent time with the apostles. This is where God is thought to reside on earth and go mostly on the way back to Egypt that represented bondage, that represented slavery. Sometimes God tells us to go to a place that we wouldn't pick for ourselves. Sometimes God just gives us a nudge, like you should probably stop by here. Sometimes God tells us something that interrupts our own plans. But we see here that Philip obeys. And in verse 27, So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading The book of Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So here's this Ethiopian on this desert road. He's leaving Jerusalem. So 
already, there's all these questions in my mind. What is this Ethiopian's relationship to Judaism? What's going to happen? What, how in this world, how in the world did he get a copy of the book of Isaiah? I want to get to know this, this Ethiopian eunuch, which means castrated man. I mean, who says the Bible's boring? And, and in the ancient world, usually a man in that condition was some sort of state official. But here's this guy from a far off land, from the south of the Nile, close to Egypt, who's interested in the Jewish God. He's got questions. He's, he's been asking God, are you there? Is, is, is there something out there that's real? And in the ancient context, I can totally see, given the cultures surrounding and some of the, the religious practices and cultural practices in the ancient Near East, I could see how someone would be interested in the Jewish way of life. It'd be like this ocean of calm compared to the, the pagan sacrifices, that constant wondering, are the gods angry at me? Of course he would be interested, especially if he was a, a learned man who obviously is traveling and representing the queen of, of Ethiopia. But here's the thing with this guy. He was destined to be an outsider. Not only was he a foreigner, but his body had been mutilated to the point where he could never be an insider in Judaism. And I wonder if he's, he's reading these prophecies and going like, is, is there good news in this for me? And along comes a Jesus follower who's got this voice that's saying, go to that chariot and stay near it. So God speaks to us one step at a time and often in broad terms. Remember, in my ministry life, so often people will come and say, oh, you're a pastor. I'm trying to make this decision. Do I move to Peoria or do I move to Philadelphia? You know, and, and, and they're, they're wondering, what's God's will for my life? And, and I love the impulse to put God in all of our decisions. That is absolutely 100% true. But sometimes I hear this impulse in people's hearts where there's, they're like looking at God's will for their life like it's a tightrope and like God's going to come back 10 years, 20 years from now going, hey, you know that decision you prayerfully made 20 years ago? You missed it. You're done. But what if God's will, what if God's direction is like this mighty rushing river that we get caught up in? And it's not this tightrope that if we make one wrong move, we're, we're toast. But it's this, this movement that we get caught up in. And, and God's like, hey, here's two choices. I want to bless both of them. We don't always get the angel saying, go on this road. We don't always get that nudge going, stand next to that vehicle and talk to that person. I love the scripture and the psalmist that says, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And there's, there's intimacy with God implied in there. Like, like Abram going to the land that I will show you. It's like one step, get your bearings. Another decision, stop, get your bearings. God, am I going the right way? God is the good shepherd has a great way of letting us know when we're off track. God has a great way when we're doing this of putting us in front of people that need to hear the story of Jesus. God has a way of using our everyday eating, sleeping, drinking, walking around, working life 
and making us a safe person to bring people to and put people in our path. So getting this nudge, uh, he's on the road and he gets this nudge to go stand next to the chariot. I love that verse 30 says, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is so often how God works, positioning us in the path of curious people. Remember in my youth group, there was, a, there was this practice every Wednesday night youth group. It, it was a, a youth ministry in the mid-90s, so there was lots of screaming involved. Yeah! And one of the times we were invited to scream, other than crazy games and crazy skits, I loved my youth group. There was this moment where the youth pastor would say, how many of you have shared Jesus with somebody this week? And a bunch of people would stand up. And then the youth pastor would say, how many of you led somebody to say the sinner's prayer this week? And most of those people would sit down. And some weeks I would stand up, some weeks I would be able to stand up, and oh my goodness, the pride, when I could stand and, and stay standing, when I had led someone to say the sinner's prayer, watch out, Billy Graham. Here comes 14-year-old Mike Collins. Oh, the ego, the pride. But on those weeks that I didn't stand up, the shame, the, the, and I would like redouble my efforts next week. And I'm like, I'm bringing my Bible to school, get to school. Why you got your Bible here? I don't know. My youth pastor just said to get the Bible back in school. So here's my Bible. And then I remember talking to, to one of my youth leaders of saying like, oh, I didn't lead anyone to Jesus this week. I want to stand up like, like everybody else. And I remember this youth leader saying, what if instead of slamming people's lockers shut in the hallway and scaring them half to death going, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Like, what if you tried a different approach? It's like, what do you mean? And he said, what if God wants to make you into the safe kind of person and your light shines to where people start to come in and, and ask you like, hey, Mike, why don't you cuss in the locker room before the game? Why don't you tell those jokes? Why don't you go to those parties? Why, are, why don't you respond to insults like everyone else does and puff up and start pushing and shoving? I was like, it was a little light bulb for me. And I started that approach like, oh, and just asking God, please make me into the kind of person that's safe for you to bring others to. And you know what happened? People started doing exactly what that youth worker said, even as a 15, 16, 17-year-old. It wasn't because I was doing anything special, but people were curious. And because of this, these youth volunteers that were mentoring me, I learned that, that, that God had wired me to sit on the doorsteps of people's lives and then earn the invitation to come in. And I love that Philip, in this little chunk that we just read, he didn't just obey, he ran up to the chariot. And then when he heard the book of Isaiah, he didn't just start out going, oh, let me tell you this and let me tell you that, and oh, this is amazing, and, and let his passion overwhelm this, this person with questions. He started with a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Like he, he had to get his bearings. And then the Ethiopian was like, how can I understand this? this I mean, it was out of his cultural context, and he knew there was something to it. And this passage that Philip was reading about 
It was about Jesus. It was a prophecy about Jesus. And then he invited Philip to come up into the chariot and to have a conversation with him. How much more effective will we be if we earn the right to speak into somebody's lives? How much more effective will we be if we start out with questions to figure out where that person is at, if they're hurting, if they're questioning, if they're, if they're confused? We get our bearings, and then when we sit down, we're not starting off 10 miles down the road further than where they're at, or 10 miles behind. This guy had some sort of scaffolding for a faith conversation. He had already been to Jerusalem probably to participate in some sort of festival or worship of Yahweh. So I think the challenge for us is when we get invited in, get in the chariot, how uncomfortable did that have to be for Philip? Raised in the Jewish faith, they didn't mix with foreigners very much. There's, and this, this foreigner, this Ethiopian, not only is he from a different culture, he most likely had different color skin, and, and he was also different socioeconomically. Philip wasn't an official of state. How uncomfortable, like, I don't belong here. But he, he, he took that step. He pushed past his comfort zone, and he got in the chariot. So I think if you're here and you're watching this and, and you've been following Jesus for a while, most of the people in our community are the kinds of people that earn the right to, to share the story of what Jesus has done. Most of the people in our community are, are, are the kinds of people that people recognize. Like, hey, there's something different about your life. What is it? So heaven forbid we earn the right to share the love of Jesus with somebody and we don't take it. I don't think any of us are gonna be the arm twisting, uh, yelling, finger pointing, fire and brimstone people. Though we do believe God has standards, I think our challenge for a lot of us is that when we're asked to give a reason for our faith, that we actually follow Philip's example and get up into the chariot, out of our comfort zone and have that conversation. And so, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as the lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This passage is from Isaiah 53 and it's at the heart of the passage. And I think it's important for us to think about how the early church read this type of scripture. They didn't just pick out obscure parts of scripture and say, oh, this kind of looks like Jesus. Like, let's try to make it fit. Like they saw all of scripture is this great narrative stretching out from Abram or Abraham and, and telling the story of this group of people, telling uh, about Moses and David. It stretched back actually all the way to creation and it was all working up to something. And, and this passage in Isaiah is, is this, this prophet meditating about the future of Israel while they were in exile. So he wasn't like looking into this crystal ball. Like he was saying in deep prayer and meditation, like, God, what are you going, what, what are you up to 
in the middle of all of this. And as he was praying, he started to form these images inspired by the Holy Spirit about this suffering servant, about this person who wouldn't merely redeem Israel and and bring them back to their homeland, though that's included. But God was inspiring him to write about someone who would redeem the whole world, that would be good news for everybody. That was the climax of the story according to the first Christians. That's what God is leading up to is Jesus. It's good news. And that's what evangelism is. It's telling the story of God. And when you tell the story of God, it's received as good news. Whether you're telling, explaining a scripture like Isaiah 53, or whether you're telling somebody about what God has done in your life, it sounds like good news. And as I was studying this, this is just kind of an aside. I love the fact that the first person recorded in scripture who is not Jewish, he came to a baptism in Luke's story. He's a black man from Ethiopia. That's amazing. That Already the gospel's moving outside of the Middle East and moving towards Africa. Talk about including outsiders. Didn't just start with like a cousin to the Jewish culture. Like this is, this thing is moving. So let's see what happens in this last part of the passage. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand to the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they got out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So that's the point of the sermon. When you baptize someone, you get beamed away like in Star Trek, and it happens every single time. No, but that would be really, really cool. And just to be clear, if you're checking out, uh, if someone sent you this link and you're watching the sermon and you're like, did someone really get teleported away? Um, Yes, but once you believe that someone rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, you can start believing all kinds of wild stuff. Uh, But actually, this passage, don't get tied up in that. Uh, This passage has some very practical good news takeaways for us. The first of all is this, all these events happened because Philip was listening to God. What habits in your life are cultivating listening ears? Philip knew he was supposed to go travel down this road. Philip was listening to, to know he's supposed to go stand next to that chariot and figure out what the next step was. He was listening for step by step by step and following those nudges and hunches. And then he also listened to the person he was rubbing shoulders with. He, he knew the eunuch's needs because the eunuch's like, I don't understand what I'm reading. And the importance for us to obey God in the little things. Even when you get a nudge of what road to take, take that road. If you don't have a nudge of what road to take, say, God, I'm thinking it's this way, but I'm gonna trust that you'll give me directions if I'm headed the wrong way, if there's no sign from heaven, no angel. Like, to obey God in our normal, everyday life. Put one foot in front of the other obedience. One question, I like to ask myself when I have a choice between one option or another, or do I talk to this person or not, or how do I approach this person? Is not, and I don't ask, what would Jesus do? 
because Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi, but Jesus lives in me. So I ask, what would Jesus do if he were me in my situation? The father of three kids, a pastor, what would Jesus do if he were me here at the grocery store and, you know, those types of things? What would, what would Jesus do if he were you, a single mom, a grandfather, uh, someone who is going to work tomorrow? What would Jesus do if he were you? And start to think about, okay, maybe I'll obey those. Maybe that's from God. And, and then see what happens. And I love also that Philip, when he was told to stand next to the chariot and started out in this conversation, we don't have a record of Philip freaking out like, oh, I'm not a trained rabbi. I don't know all the right words. I think for us, we need to trust that God will give us the right words to say. I remember trying to recruit people to be in in our middle school ministry when I was a middle school youth pastor. That is one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Hey, do you want to come and minister to to 12 to 14 year olds? People are like, oh no. But one of the answers I would often get is, Mike, I only know the I only know like this much of the Bible, and there's like this much of the Bible. But I would say, okay, okay, first of all, you're not here to, to volunteer in middle school youth ministry to be a Bible expert. That's great if you know some of the Bible, but we're trying to keep these kids alive and we're trying not to lose them first and foremost. Then we'll tell them about Jesus. Second of all, so yeah, you may only know this much of the Bible compared to this much, but the people that, you're, that God's putting in your path, God has a funny way of putting people in your path that know this much of the Bible. And there's a gap there. And then as you guys explore the gap that they don't have, then you'll both grow in your knowledge together. It's not about how much you know. And you know what you know is is what God has done in your life. That is one of the most effective ways to evangelize somebody. And then it it doesn't turn into this like like gotcha match. I feel like the, the impulse, the healthiest impulse to share what God has done in your life is the same impulse when, when grandparents pull out their smartphone after they've just been to, to, to wherever in the U.S. to see their grandkids. And I kind of miss the days where you would have photos in your wallet and then 20 would fall out because now with smartphones and you say, how was your trip? You may be there for hours and they're just scrolling through and here's where we did this and here's where we did that. But you can't fault someone for sharing something that they're actually passionate about. And and that passion is contagious. Next of all is let's earn the right to tell our story. Let's earn the right in the world to tell the story of what God has done for us. And as you tell your story, or as you're preparing to tell your story, ask yourself, where's the good news in this? What has God done for me that God can do for anybody? What has God done through me that I could say, that wasn't me. That was, that was the Lord working in my life. And also, just another practical part in this is, is to know that you're part of this process working with God. You're not merely working for God. Philip didn't receive this message to go on the, on the road and think, oh, okay, I've got my orders from God and I, there's going to be a, a debrief later and I'll, I'll get good marks. No, there's this sense that, that God was with Philip and working and using Philip 
But God wasn't just tasking him, go there, do this, like some sort of bad middle manager stereotype. And so many times we, we operate and try and obey God. I don't think we do this on purpose, but we obey God like we're working for God. But that's not God's heart. We're invited into God's mission on this earth. And God's there side by side. And it, it's not something that we're going to get an evaluation like, like you do at work every six months or so. And say, hmm this or that. No, God's like, no, I want to be with you and I want to help you. Let's do this together. So you're not like a, we're not called to be religious salespeople. We're called to be ambassadors of the king of the universe. And we're called to be disciple makers as part of a process. There's actually another letter in the New Testament where Paul is writing to this church and he's like, some people pick their favorite teacher, but you know what? Every teacher has their role. Every Christian in the, the ecosystem of the body of Christ has a role to play in someone's faith development. We're part of something much bigger than us. And it's ultimately up to God. We, we're just the ones that get to be a part of it. So this week, I wanna challenge you to keep praying for the person that you picked out last week. Maybe they're hurting, maybe they've wandered away from the faith, or maybe they have no faith at all. Or if you're just here this week, I want to challenge you to, to pick out one person. You can catch up with us. And I want to start asking you, uh, start asking God to put you in a place where you can hear their questions. Ask God, give me your ears. What are you saying? Help me hear your voice and help me hear their real and felt needs. God, I'm just trusting that you'll put me in the same space. Uh, give me an opportunity this week. I'm so thankful for people who had those ears where they heard God's voice to reach out to me when I really needed it, big time. And they sent me those messages. They, some of them may not even know the impact it had on me, even to this day, but it was so timely and I'm so glad they just simply followed those nudges. That's how God usually works. Regular people doing regular things and then God does something so supernatural with these regular acts of obedience. So, you got your person? <laughs> all right, if you don't, I'm gonna pray for you and maybe someone will pop into your head right now. Let me pray for all of us right now. Right now, Dear Jesus, would you please open our ears, uh, clean out our ears supernaturally so we can hear what you are telling us to do. And then when we hear your voice, will you please fill us with your spirit, with supernatural courage so we can obey you and give us the wisdom to, to take those opportunities and courage to share what you've done in our life and to share what you're up to in this world. We can only do that with your help. So God, we ask for your help and your wisdom right now. In Jesus' mighty and strong and powerful name we pray, amen. So until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.